the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life, church questions, whatever's on your heart. You just need to call 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands for you to be connected directly to our studio producer. We got a lot going on tonight. Uh, I'm going to be teaching almost chapter five. It's what I was supposed to teach last Wednesday night, and I wasn't feeling well. I had a cough and didn't want to cough all over the microphone, so uh, I'll be doing that tonight. It's a heavy chapter. It's a good chapter, and we need to hear it, but boy, it's really heavy. So that's tonight at seven o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvaryessay.com. And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. Uh, That is tomorrow at four o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait. Any and all phone calls. Here's a question. This one from Joe Ellen from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. On Monday's program, you had a question regarding Melchizedek. I understand that the pre-incarnate Jesus is announced as the, and she capitalized the the, angel of the Lord, and not an, that also capitalized, angel of the Lord. My question is, how reliable are the translations regarding that article? Can I read any of my Bibles and know that when I read the word the or and that I'm getting the right information about who the angel is. Um, Joellen, no, the translators aren't going to have that. Now, you can get into the language. Um, uh, if it was Greek, it'd be the, the tenses, the different tense versions. In Hebrew, you can go back and look at whether or not it's definite articles. Um, and, and there are plenty of study tools that will let you do this. But even then, there are times when there is a definite article. I'll give you an example in the New Testament. It says that uh, Nicodemus, uh, Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher. And while there's no definite article there, the emphasis on you are the preeminent teacher. So there's not always a way to understand that simply by looking at the words. Now, here is the foolproof way when you're going through the Old Testament to find out if this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And I think most of the time, the angel Lord and an angel Lord is separate and distinct, and the context makes it understood. Having said that, the one way for sure Joellen, that you can know that you're dealing with the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ is that they will 
that the angel of the Lord will receive worship. Melchizedek, I told you on the program last week that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. We know that in part because Abraham worshipped him. Um, uh, angels don't receive worship. And so that's the way as you're reading through, when you see the angel of the Lord, there will always be worship. When he appeared to Abram and uh, made a covenant with Abram, uh, the, the Lord himself passed through the offering and, and uh, sealed the covenant. So there's always worship involved when it's the person of Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate appearance. Let me also, I had another question uh, about uh, Ron Rhodes' book. The question this week about Ron Rhodes, is he reliable? He is. But in this matter, he has a wonderful book with the information that we need dealing with all of the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, in that particular book, it's called Christ Before the Manger by Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. And it is a really, really good book. And by the way, Joel, it's really interesting as well. If you like studying this kind of stuff, uh, that's really a, a wonderful primer for you on that. Joel, and thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. Glenn says, uh, is it possible to be too heavenly minded and be worthless in this world. You know, Glenn, one of the my pet peeves is when people say that. You know, if you find a Christian who's really committed to Jesus Christ, then there's going to be a lukewarm Christian who says, oh, you don't have to be that sold out. You don't have to be, you know, that, that they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. It is impossible to be too heavenly minded. And the more heavenly minded we are, the more value we have in the world that we live in. That's what Jesus is looking for. That's why Paul would say, set your sights, your hearts and your minds, the place of affection, the heart, the place of decision, the mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So it's impossible to be too heavenly minded. And again, I want to emphasize that the more heavenly minded you are, the more valuable you are in this world that we live in. God will use you for eternal purposes and you will earn eternal rewards. And uh, again, it's just one of those things that when people who are lukewarm see Christians who are completely committed, when uh, Christians who have weak faith see Christians with strong faith, they've got to take shots at them. And that's just one of the ways. We need not compromise with this world. We need to take a stand for Jesus in any and every situation. And Glenn, when that happens, always, 100% of the time, Jesus said, you'll be insulted. They hated me. They're going to hate you. And when our light is shining that brightly, believe me, there are going to be people who don't like the, 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 the light shining in their eyes, uh, figuratively speaking, and, and they're going to come against you. That's just the way it is. They hated Jesus. They insulted Jesus. He said the same thing is going to happen to those of us who are completely committed to him. So very important point, Glenn. We have to be uncompromising in this world. Bruce says, this is an interesting question because I never thought of it this way, Bruce. Bruce says, who is the most highly favored person in the Bible? Um, boy, that's a hard one because I think they're, they're all highly favored. I think grace sort of makes being highly favored infinite in terms of its quality. So I don't know uh, the answer to your question. Now, certainly we know that there are some who are highly favored. In the Old Testament, we have men like Isaiah, men like Daniel, um, um, men who have nothing sinful reported about them. And yet, um, we know they were highly favored. Uh, Daniel received um, uh, end times uh, uh, visions and dreams. Um, uh, John, the beloved in the New Testament, received um, uh, the revelation that we have in our Bibles. Uh, and John was the beloved and Daniel was was highly favored. Um, um, obviously, Mary, uh, the mother of the Lord, uh, she was highly favored. Gabriel announced that. Greetings, you who are highly favored. 
Uh, but I think that's the way, really, Bruce, that the Lord speaks to all of us. And I don't think when you are highly favored by God, I don't think there is a, a level on the quantity of that favor. I think God has one de- depth of love, one depth of grace, and that's what grace is, being highly favored. Uh, and I think when, when you have it, you've got it. And we actually control whether or not we get it. Jesus is always trying to pour out that that infinite grace on us. Um, However, um, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we forfeit that that infinite grace much of the time. So, uh, again, just in, in my view, Bruce, rather than saying, oh, that's easy, it's Mary or that's easy, it's Daniel. I think I think it's that that favor that infinite favor is literally the same for everyone. And we can all of us receive that infinite favor uh, every day. So, Bruce, thank you for the question. And uh, I like that kind of question because it makes you think a little bit uh, outside the box. And, uh, Bruce, that's, uh, that's what your question caused me to do a little bit. You know, my instinct, like I think most would say, oh, it's Mary. or but But I think... Not bragging here. I think I'm the most highly favored person. I'm not in the Bible, but I think I'm the most highly favored person because that's the way God deals with us. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Wanda. What process is there to being more committed to obeying God? Wanda, I don't know that there is a process. Now, I'm going to tell you two things, but I would say these two things if the question were worded differently. Uh, First, you have to be filled with the Spirit. I don't mean just have the Spirit of God. As a born-again believer, we all have the Spirit of God, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. But we have to be baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit in power. Uh, And um, with, with that uh, uh, power, the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us, uh, with that power, uh, then uh, I don't know how we could be any more committed. It's sort of the hand of God pushing you or pushing me, Wanda, and um, what we want to do is obey God at all costs. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is making a decision. I think being obedient to God is a daily even hourly decision. I think too many of us, we get up and our hearts are in the right place. We love God and we want to serve God, um, but we're so conflicted in the world that we live in. There's so many distractions, so many other things that occupy our time, uh, so many times when compromise seems like the the easy or even the loving thing to do. And I think Uh, The Christian that that says, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. It's a decision that I've made today. I'm going to say no to my flesh so that I can say yes to you. And when that happens, uh, Wanda, then the power of God, the infinite power of God is available to all of us. So, again, I don't know that that's a process. I think it's a daily, as I said earlier, an hourly decision that I'm going to obey the Lord. I also would say there's one other element to it. I think that when we fail, and we all will, when we fail, then we have to be quick to repent. You know, David, I didn't mention David in the highly favored, but David had a heart after God's own heart. One of the reasons I think David was described that way is because David was a great, not a good, a great repenter. And I think if you and I, Wanda, are committed to repentance, keeping short accounts with the Lord, the minute we do something that is ungodly or we start to do something, we get that check in our spirit, and then we immediately say, no, I'm not going to do that because I want to serve the Lord. I think in that minute, uh, that demonstrates just how committed we are to obeying God. One other comment, Wanda, Jesus said that if you love me, you will obey me. And I think as Christians, we have to be honest enough when we're not being obedient. We have to be honest enough to tell Jesus, I don't love you enough right now, Lord. I'm going to choose to do this instead of being obedient 
which means there are limits to my love. Right now, for the sin I'm going to engage in, I love me, I love my flesh, I love that sin more than I love you. And and one, I'm always telling people, be honest like that, brutally honest. First of all, God knows everything about you. But secondly, if you're that honest with yourself and, and you say it out loud, you're going to have to come to the place where you deal with it because it makes all of your praise, it makes all of your pretending, uh, it makes it all without value. We've got to be men and women committed to obeying the Lord. So again, I don't think it's that much of a process as it is a decision that we make all the time. Lucille says, your church is too far for me to come to. What should I be looking for to find a church? Well, Lucille, your question implies that you're in San Antonio. We've got churches uh, here in San Antonio, other Calvary chapels, um, and uh, all over the the San Antonio area. So it's just a matter of... of, um, finding one that's close enough for you to drive to. I realize that some people have a really difficult time uh, driving this far. I would tell you, I think we're worth it, Lucille. But uh, the reality is that we've got churches, uh, many of whom we've planted out of this church, where you're going to learn that the the Bible is taught. You're going to find people that are committed to fellowship, committed to loving one another, um, serving God. Um, smaller churches in some cases, uh, but um, I think that's th- th- there's there's churches wherever you might be in San Antonio that are in easy driving distance. What you should be looking for in a church is basic, a church that is committed to the Word of God. And I don't mean committed to preaching it or doing topical messages, but a church that is committed to teaching through the Bible giving you the foundation you need to be able to stand and serve the Lord. Foundation allows you to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is and in the knowledge of his will for your life. So doctrine is critical. Um, Their commitment to teaching the word is critical. A church that takes holiness seriously doesn't just sort of wink at sin um, You know, when you go to church, you ought to be convicted. If there's something in your life, you ought to be convicted. Um, You should be instructed, and you should be inspired or exhorted to action. Uh, I think the church uh, that you're looking for also ought to provide opportunities for you to use the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. So those are the things that you ought to be looking for, not not necessarily a denomination or worship style. Just be sure that the Word of God is being taught. So, Lucille, I hope that helps you, and good luck on your search. Here's another church question. Lucille, uh, followed by Anonymous, says, Will you please talk about large churches versus small churches? I'm a pastor with under 50 congregants and wonder why God isn't blessing my ministry. Pastor Anonymous, whether or not God is blessing your ministry has nothing whatsoever to do with how many people are in your church. Nothing whatsoever. You know what I've learned? You know, we live in America and we think bigger is better and we measure success, sadly, even in churches, uh, even at pastors' conferences, we measure success by how many people are coming and how big is your building and all of those other things. Um, um, But that's not the way God measures success. And in areas where churches are small, anonymous, I am personally convinced that God loves those small people uh, just as much as he loves people in a big church. And he wants to send them a pastor who is committed as well to teaching them. So God is blessing your ministry if you're doing what God told you to do. Let me give you just a couple of suggestions. You teach the Word of God, whether you have five people or 5,000 people exactly the same, with the same fervor, uh, with the same preparation, uh, with the same excitement, and a sense of awe in terms of, being privileged by God to to be able to do this at all. The reality is that um, none of us deserve to have people listening to us. Um, I I don't have a church of 5,000 people. 
Um, and yet God has done different things and he'll do it in different churches. But I want to reemphasize that God loves people in rural communities. God loves people uh, in inner city ministries. God loves the people where there isn't a population to support a larger church. Um, you just need to be a blessing. That's what God intended you to be. Now, uh, Anonymous Pastor, we've planted a bunch of churches. And almost all of the churches are small for a long time. God is testing us. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says that it is required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. So you're in a time of testing. So the way to pass the test is be completely committed to giving your people, the people that God allows to call you pastor. That ought to send chill bumps down the back of your spine every time somebody says pastor and whatever your first name is. And whenever they do that, you ought to just figuratively fall on your face before God and worship him. So you be faithful with the 50 or under 50 that you've got. And let God be able to send others to you. Now let me say something else I think that's important for people to understand. You know, we've marketed the church. We've, And I say we as a general we. We've collectively uh, done things to uh, make our churches grow. Uh, My email inbox is inundated with uh, church growth programs and suggestions that we can buy. Uh, And you'd think we were a car dealership. You know, we, we advertise, we get people here, we can market. And while it's true, it will work for a minute, it won't work for long. And here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we have not spent one dime Now, I'm talking almost 29 years. We've not spent one dime nor one minute of time trying to figure out how our church could grow. We've never sat down with the pastor and said, you know, what can we do to get more people in this place? What we do is we do our job. My job is to walk up. Now, I do other things, obviously, but my job is to walk to the pulpit and walk there prepared, prepared. prepared to teach the word. What does it say? What does it mean? How can they use it? Um, To give them my heart, to love them, to pray for them. If I do that, well, then God does his part. And God has been faithful to bring people to us over the years, but it took a long time. One of the things you don't say in this uh, question is how long you've been doing it. I can tell you this, uh, the very first crowd of people that we had here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, our first Bible study was May 31st, 1995, with 13 people. That was the biggest crowd we had for two years. The biggest crowd for two years. Still, we didn't worry about who wasn't coming. We ministered to the people who were here. And that's all God expects from you, Anonymous, is you pour out your heart and soul. And as long as there are people calling you pastor, be grateful to God and realize that you cannot quit. You cannot quit. I said that was the last thing. One other thing. I think the average church size... Well, I I won't say I think I know that the average church size, churches in the United States of America, is under 100 people. That's the average. So if God trusts the souls and the hearts of those people with you, you take care of those souls. You minister to them like there were 5,000 and I'll add this one last thing before we break, take a break. I know we've got a caller on line one, Ruben. If you'd hold on through the break, I'll get you right at the top of the break. Um, if we'll love those people the way God wants them to be loved, if we'll do that, your reward will be the same as a pastor who has 10,000 in his church. And God is pleased. God is pleased. We need to understand that's our ministry, being obedient to God and with whatever it is that God has given you. And I am confident that he loves those under 50 people that he sends to you so much that he prepared the very best he's got. And that's why they have you as their pastor. So love them, pray for them, and by all means, 
be forever grateful. If you could look behind the scenes, the spiritual scenes, I think what you'd see is just how much God really is blessing your ministry. So, Anonymous, I hope that makes sense to you. We're coming up on a break here. Uh, Eric code 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You're toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Um, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we've got 30 minutes left in our program. Um, remember, tonight I'm going to be teaching out of the prophecy of Amos, chapter 5, and tomorrow Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. Now, I've been told that we got, like, there it is. Okay, I was waiting for the music, and it wasn't there. 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show. One more time, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. Reuben, God bless you. Thank you for your patience. You are on the air. God bless you, Pastor. I would wait days and weeks and weeks and weeks to talk to you, sir, <laughs> with your you. infinite wisdom. <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to thank everybody who prayed for me. Um, I was released yesterday. Good. Um, yeah, I have some problems. I need to see a spine specialist, and I finally was able to get the specialist that I wanted in Northeast Baptist. Um, so I'll get to go see him, but I have to wait for two weeks, but um, I just wanted to thank everybody for praying and thank did, you for praying did for you, me that did day. Did you get some relief from the pain, Reuben? I did. Good, I, 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 was, I was telling Catherine that, that they put me on fentanyl, which I was afraid. Um, but they took me off of it and um, they gave me some oxycotton, which I don't agree with, but it takes the pain away. So, you know, uh, in the interim, I'm just going to take that and just pray, Lord, just to give me strength to deal with the pain. But, but yeah, I feel much better. But um, I do have a question, sir. Uh, while I was in the hospital, I was visited by um, somebody at a church that I that I attended, and they said, "Hey, uh, do you read?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I read." And they gave me this book, and it was called um, Apocryph- Apocryphy. Apocrypha. It's it. Okay, Apocrypha, yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The book of Enoch, the second book of Esther, and all these yeah. other ones. Um, are they biblical? No, that's that's Catholic. The Catholic Bible has those apocryphal books in it. Uh, but no, they are not only not biblical, but they are um, in contradistinction to what is biblical. And that's why they're not in the Bible. That's why they're not part of the canon of Scripture. They are filled with error. They contradict other parts of the Bible we've got. So what you had was somebody who was um, um, a Catholic or espousing Catholic doctrine, but those books have no value at all beyond. Now, if you're a historian and you just like reading, uh, there's some historical value in, in some of the apocryphal books, but there's uh, no benefit at all. Certainly uh, not written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And um, probably not spiritually healthy for somebody who's going through some trials. The enemy will try to take advantage to confuse you in the process. So better to stay away from it, Ruben. Thank you. Yeah, I I, ha- I haven't read it. I told her, oh, yeah, I'll read it. I'll read it. But I didn't. And she left it. But yeah. I didn't even open it because I was like, no, I've never heard of it. And I'm pretty sure if I ask Pastor Ron... He'll tell me it's not right. So yep. I'm just going to kindly, uh, you know, just throw it in the trash, you know, because I don't need it. I don't need anything 
right now a damper in my spirits because I'm I'm pretty pumped up right now. Um, even though I went through what I went through and it was very, very difficult. I got dealt with me while I was in there and, and, and I wanna stay on this spiritual high and just seek him and just him. Just seek into the word, get into the word and just say, God, what do you have for me? Am I going to focus on this sickness? Am I going to focus on this illness? Am I going to focus on the pain? I'm going to focus on you. <clears throat> and that's what I want to do. So um, thank you for that. Good, I, I didn't know what they were. Yeah, but before you, before you hang up, you, you know, recovering from the, the, the things you've been through, you're going to have a lot of time. So let me suggest something for you to read. I think it'll bless you abundantly. It's a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, B O. N H O E F F E R, and it is a um, um, it's the book that changed my life all those years ago, and uh, I think it's it's very timely for you right now with what you're going through. So you can get it; it's available on Amazon and anywhere else. It's okay. it's not difficult to find at all, and it's not difficult reading. In fact, it's very encouraging to read. So okay. I think I think that'll the be cost a, of the, the cost of discipleship. Again? Okay, I will look it up right now. Thank you, Ruben. God bless you. I'm glad you're okay, feeling thank better. You. God bless you, sir. Love mm-hmm. you, sir. Bye. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Scott from our email inbox. A friend and I were talking about the age of grace, which I view as the time we live in now. Uh, and and Scott, that's correct. Uh, an age spanning since Jesus's resurrection. Uh, my friend says we're in what's known as the church age. Are they one in the same? Uh, this also made us think, when the church is called home to heaven, uh, which will end the church age, will the age of grace continue until Christ comes back to judge the earth, or will it also end when the church is called home? Wonderful questions, uh, Scott. Um, the age of grace and the church age, uh, however you, whatever term you use, they are one in the same. And it's not just since Jesus' resurrection. Um, the church age, the, 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 the last days, really begins with the ascension of Jesus into heaven after spending 40 days teaching his, um, his um, uh, disciples uh, after his resurrection from the Lord. So that's when this dispensation kicked in. Now, when the church is called home in the rapture, that ends the age of grace, it ends church, and God, it's very clear, will then deal with the world no, the world no longer in grace, but in judgment. And that's when the great tribulation starts. And when that happens, uh, Scott, we have seven years of history, and then everything will end. Uh, Jesus will return, we'll return with him, uh, he will establish his kingdom on earth. And then we will go into the millennial age. So uh, the, the dispensation of judgment or completion after the rapture of the church, following that, the millennial kingdom. So now we are in, thankfully, the age of grace, you know, coming off of communion this past Sunday. Jesus, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the cup, the cup. Judas the betrayer now gone. He's been dispatched. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. The old covenant was law. That's why Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we have to do. This is the letter of the law, but we have to do the spirit of the law. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then the new covenant with Jesus' death and resurrection was initiated um, and that's when the Holy Spirit was introduced into the world. Of course, we know that is in Acts chapter 2. So um, the, the age of grace doesn't continue. Once we're out of here, then the world is going to be, is going to encounter the judgment of God. In fact, the wrath of God um, for seven years. And then Jesus is going to set everything right. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question from Melinda. Uh, How can I know if God is opening doors or if I'm just hoping he will? Um, Melinda, I I not too recently spoke about this at our church. You know, um, the, the open door, closed door method of trying to find God's will just never works. Not ever. 
you know, a lot of times we do what we want to do. And then we say, okay, God, I think you want me to be happy, so I'm going to do this. And if you don't want me to do it, close the door. He doesn't do that. He wants us to consult him and find his will. Now, Melinda, there's a, a formula, and I don't typically talk about formulas, but Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is a formula. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will is. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So if you want to know what God's will is, you just follow Jesus. Every day, you get up and follow Jesus. And Melinda, you can't miss his will. So what you do is simply say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Don't say, I'm going to do it, Lord. Close the door if you don't want me to do it. I know people that have done that and they get really angry when it doesn't work out. Well, God, I told you to close the door. No, God wants you to learn to follow him by faith. And the only way to do that is by being very close relationally with the Lord. Get up every day and say, Jesus, today is yours. It's not mine. Whatever you want, thy will, not my will be done. And then you will not only know what God's will is. Now, you're not going to know a long-term will. God doesn't give us the details. That wouldn't take any faith. But you'll know what God's will is day after day after day. And when you're walking with Jesus, you won't be able to miss anything that he has for you. I know some people, Melinda, who are so afraid of missing God's will that they're always second-guessing themselves. And I tell them what I just told you. If you walk with Jesus today, and you get up and walk with him tomorrow, and you do it the day after, and then you do it for the next year after that, or two years after that, it's impossible to miss God's will for your life. And you're going to find yourself, in in many cases, wondering how I got here, but you're going to find yourself right in the middle of God's will. And I have uh, such a privileged life, Melinda, in the sense that uh, I know every day that I am exactly where God wants me to be, doing exactly what he wants me to do, knowing that he is going to bless the work of our hands and the security that gives me, the comfort that gives me is wonderful. And rather than just, well, how do I know I didn't miss God's will? You just can't. I think part of growing up in the Lord, part of maturing in the Lord is that we simply learn to trust him day by day. By the way, I think that's the lesson of the manna, uh, the lesson of grace uh, as, as illustrated in the manna in the wilderness. God said, don't take enough uh, for two days or three days. Just take enough for this day for you and your family. And if you try to take more, it will be rotted, maggot infested. Uh, And God's trying to teach him, get up every morning, depending on him. And there's nothing quite like going to bed at night, thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then you say, Lord, you've been faithful every day. I'm going to wake up. You'll be faithful again tomorrow. So, um, Melinda, no open doors, closed doors. Just do what God's leading you to do. This one is from, oop, I got a phone call. Thank you for getting my attention. Scott from Von Army again. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you today? Scott, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I, I have a question, um, and I don't know if you've heard of him. I ran across it on a YouTube. Um, a teacher by the name of Rick Renner. Uh, the first time I watched him, he was he was breaking down the Greek, and I thought it was very interesting. And then I seen another one. I kind of questioned it, but I don't know anything about the guy. I didn't want to listen anymore until I kind of vetted it out to see if he is somebody I should be listening to or not. Uh, I was yeah. just curious if you had heard of him or know anything about him. Yeah, I do know a little bit about him, and, and he's not somebody that I can recommend. Um, Scott, you're you're a very discerning guy. Do your homework. Uh, listen to him. But um, what I've listened to uh, Rick teach is full of holes and, and uh, red flags going up all over the place. So, no, this isn't some a ministry that I, I could in any kind of confidence at all recommend. But, again, you're discerning. The Lord's probably already starting that work in your heart. 
Um, but um, he's one of those guys. And I could be more specific, but I'd, I'd have to go do a little bit of research about the, the problematic doctrinal areas. Uh, but it's not he's not somebody that I would recommend listening to. And I will do a little bit of research to get some more specificity, and I'll try to get that on the program on Friday, Scott. Thank you very, very much. It's always good to hear from you. He's my one caller from Von Ormy, at least the one caller that I know about. So here is a question. This one is from Ben. How is it possible for Jesus to be fully God and fully human when he died? God can't die. Well, you're right. God can't die, but this is called the hypostatic union of the two natures of Jesus. That's the, the theological term. Um, the, the, the humanity, the man Jesus Christ died on the cross. Prior to him breathing his last, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He died trusting that the Father would bring him home, and that's exactly what happened. So Jesus, the God, didn't die. Jesus, the man, did die. And uh, the, the, the God portion of him never ceased to be, and he simply dismissed his spirit in the same way, um, coming from the opposite direction. Philippians chapter 2, Ben talks about um, Jesus emptying himself. Um, when he became human, he emptied himself as, of his deity. That doesn't mean he stopped being God. It's simply he divested himself of the right and the privilege of of, of exercising that God portion of his life. So um, he didn't die um, as a as God. He simply died as a human. Good question, Ben. Let's now go to. I think BJ on line one from San Antonio. BJ, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing today? I'm doing well, BJ. How about you? I'm doing great. Just got off work. I'm actually about to hop into San Antonio traffic, so I probably could be doing a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be praying for you in the traffic. <laughs> thank you so much. I don't want to take too much time. I just wanted to ask. There's a, a, a question that I've been trying to sort through myself here for a little while, and it has to do with the second commandment, uh, with uh, thou shalt not make any graven images uh, to bow down or to worship, and so on and so forth. Uh, But I have a question, I guess, on how literal uh, that should be taken, Mm -hmm. and uh, how that stands up with instances like what you have when the temple, Solomon's temple, and, you know, there are cherubs, uh, basically carved in the walls, and there are also cherubs, of course, uh, guarding the, the uh, Holy of Holies, uh, things like that. So I, I'm just kind of at a crux in, in trying to understand exactly which images that, you know, and how we shouldn't be graving uh, or carving any images. And really this thought comes up from what I've heard about the Chosen and, and Bodhi Bakum and his stance on it being a Second Commandment violation. I'm not sure familiar with the show, but I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, if you can understand what I'm asking. Yeah, I am, BJ. Thank you very much. It's a great question, and in fact, um, a pretty common question uh, people have to wrestle with. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, there there was absolutely no physical description given of Jesus at all other than the fact that he was ordinary. Now, we all think we know what Jesus looked like. He had green eyes and long, flowing brown hair. But but uh, there's no physical description. He, there was nothing about his appearance that would cause us to say, oh, he's the one, he's God. He was just very ordinary. And that was by design. God didn't want us to know because God knew what our propensity as humans was to worship. We're to worship God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, with regard to how literal we're supposed to take it, I know there are people that go way off the edge uh, in this. You know, you shouldn't have any images at all. But but especially the one that you brought up in the in the temple, we're in pretty safe ground there because those are not images of God or to be worshipped as God. Those are images that were given to um, Moses, and then later to Bezalel, the the servant in the uh, in the in the wilderness tabernacle, 
Um, and, and he was he over and over the, the 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 command was to make it exactly as you have. So when God gave the instructions to have cherub or angels, uh, especially over the mercy seat, those angels were in the process of of worshiping God. The mercy seat, of course, the picture of Jesus Christ, and those angels were saying, "This is the place." Uh, where forgiveness of sins, the mercy seat, where forgiveness of sins occurs. That's why the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat uh, in the in the uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Holy of Holies, um, there are people, as I said, who take this. You can't have pictures, or or you you can't. It, the 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 whole import of the command is don't worship anything as God. The golden calf incident. Um, you know, if you have a statue in your house of a of a calf, there's no problem with it until you start worshiping it as God. And so God's prohibition was simply don't make any graven images, don't bow down, don't worship, worship the Lord your God and him only is the key. So we don't have to freak out about images in churches. Um, I, I think there's times when those images and icons uh, become problematic. I have seen, I have been in in um, the, the basilicas uh, where, where, where images were being worshipped. I watched it with my own eyes. That is a violation of the commandment. But just having um, somebody who uh, has uh, uh, um, angels or... or uh, uh, something that that up in their church we have i'll give you an example we have a a descending dove that's sort of uh the calvary chapel trademark um uh, we don't worship that dove we don't worship that dove we understand that that dove gives us our marching orders the dove of course representative of the holy spirit great question dj or bj i appreciate it very very much let's go to uh, anonymous from our mobile app. Uh, do you have a church in San Marcos? We do. Um, pastor's name there is Eric, uh, and he is a great guy. Just got married a, about a year and a half ago. Um, yes, we do have a Calvary Chapel in San Marcos. I did not plant that church, but it's been there for a long time, and Eric does a great job. So um, it's Calvary Chapel of San Marcos. If you just Google that, you'd find it easy. We also have another church uh, in, in I guess you'd call it North East um, New Brunfels, um, Calvary Chapel Riverview, and that is a church that we did plant. The pastor there, uh, Eddie Hernandez, or Ed Hernandez, he's a wonderful guy, and, and he started here at our church, oh my goodness, 25, almost 23 years ago, uh, and uh, uh, he's the pastor of the church there. So we do have churches uh, in the San Marcos um, northern uh, New Brunfels area. So really good. The other is Calvary Chapel of San Marcos. is called Calvary Chapel of the Springs. That's the name for the church in San Marcos. And if you uh, give Pastor Eric, tell him uh, you talk to me on the phone. Good question, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. Okay, I've got three minutes. Let me find a three-minute question. Jordan says, Why do you think Jesus didn't tell us when the rapture would come? Not knowing causes great anxiety to me. You know, Jordan, I, 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 I'm up front. I have to tell you, I, I don't understand people who say not knowing when it's going to come causes anxiety or cause them to be afraid. It is the one thing that you should be looking forward to more than anything else in life. That moment when we're going to look into his eyes. The reason he didn't tell us when it would come is because he knew human nature. If I knew, and Jesus used it this way, he said, um, you know, you wouldn't tell a thief, and I'm going to paraphrase the parable, you wouldn't tell a thief, um, um, or rather a thief wouldn't tell you what time he's coming, because if if a thief was coming into your house, he told you when he's going to be there, you'd be there and be ready for him. Well, Jesus wants us to know he's going to come like that thief in the night. And we should live our lives toward that very moment. We should live our lives anticipating that wonderful moment when we're going to be with Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul really and truly believed that Jesus was coming in his lifetime. It's what motivated the ministry, the sacrifice, the the wonderful, wonderful fruit that was produced uh, by the Apostle Paul. 
It is the same thing that will motivate your service to the Lord. And, and here it is. Get up every day. I like surprises. Good surprises. Get up every day saying, Lord, today could be the day. So what do you have for me today? And we serve him. The idea is we're not waiting for the rapture and just, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything until because the rapture is going to come. It's just the opposite, Jordan. What we do is we look forward to that moment when we're going to be with the Lord, and it motivates our hearts to serve day in and day out while we're waiting for Jesus to call us home. That's going to happen. And not knowing is important because if we knew, you know, as kids, you ask yourself, what would you do if you only had 48 hours to live? Well, if we knew it, we'd change things. Well, Jesus says, because you don't know when I'm coming. Keep changing things every day. Follow me. Be more and more like me every single day. And if we'll do that, Jordan, then believe me, the anxiety of not knowing, um, well, that won't happen to you. So just know that he could come today. That would be wonderful. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Good news, Paul is going to be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.